0: Hey there, welcome to Take Away with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nations Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, editor in chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. This week I'm talking with Daniela Senor, the founder and CEO of Colada Shop, a fast casual brand based in Washington, D.C. that's rooted in coffee, cocktails, and Cuba. That's right, this Latin-inspired, soon-to-be six-unit all-day cafe offers a little something for everybody, whether that's a quick coffee on the go, a relaxed place to work, a delicious meal with a coworker, or a nightcap with a friend. Daniela joined the podcast to talk about the lessons she learned while working with industry icons, Eric Repair and Jose Andres, and how she's providing a high quality, impactful experience for both her guests and for her employees. In this conversation, you will learn more about why your brand is not really for you, but for your customers why a versatile concept can make the most of the space it occupies and why the more day parts you serve the more potential employees you have access to jumping now into my conversation with colada shop founder daniela senor also don't forget to stick around after the interview as i will share my eight takeaways from this discussion actionable insights that you can take with you on the go Okay, I'm here with Daniela Senor, the co-founder of The Colada Shop, a fast casual based in Washington, D.C. Daniela, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm very excited
0: to be here. Yeah, I'm excited that we, we've talked about Colada Shop on multiple occasions. I have had the great honor of visiting The Colada Shop in person um, uh, and and loved it. Uh, it's been a few years. I think that was pre-pandemic, and I'm due for another visit. But this is a really exciting sure, concept good. Uh, Yeah, maybe after this interview, I'm just going to get on a plane and go to D.C. because it's time. Um, But, you know, we were due for a conversation to to really get into what this brand is all about because I think it is so unique. Um, Let's just start, though, with, Daniela, your story. How how did you get into the food service business? Because I know before the colada shop, you have some other impressive um, experiences in your career. So tell me about that.
1: Well, um, I started when I was 13, so that's like my first time, um, not in the kitchen, I actually started cooking when I was 11, but my first time having a business actually, so I had my first business at 13. Um, I started a home-based catering company, primarily desserts, it was called Baked Specially for You, um, by the end of that year I had six employees. I uh, believe it or not, it became like a full-on, blown thing, um, and uh, it was it was crazy. I would wake up at four in the morning before I went to school. You know, start the prep, start everything going. Kind of ended up arranging with my school like my elective period so I could leave early um, and uh, go and You know, I I honestly loved it. You know, I was I was doing a lot of desserts for. Events, weddings, uh, companies, and and just overall catering as well. And then that evolved. And I, when I was 18, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Um, not not that I decided that then. I knew that from the moment I started cooking, basically. You know, I I, I went to culinary school in New York at CIA, to CIA. Uh, stood, Study culinary arts because um, I wanted to be more well-rounded, not just desserts, and then worked for some amazing chefs like Eric Repair at the Bernardin, and then um, more on the front of the house side, but worked for Chef Jose Andres for many, many years uh, as well. So while I was in D.C. and before I started my own business here in the States, which was a lot.
0: That's incredible. I mean, yeah, to hear Jose Andres and Eric repair. I mean, those are two titans of the the culinary world. What do you feel like you learned from those two, especially? What are some lessons you had in those experiences?
1: Wow. So with so many lessons, honestly, like I, I really have to think about that because it's just like, there are um, so many different angles. I think, you know, it's what for, working with Eric was always just like being very obsessed with quality, right. And what we were putting out and making sure that that experience was always memorable, uh, to the guest, uh, and that we were always, you know, people were already coming to the Island with this expectation, like with a huge expectation and we had to blow that expectation away. So, um, I really like always keeping that top of mind. Like, how can we always be better? Strive to be better. Uh, be more efficient. But always also giving back to that community. You know, that was a place like you know, all all the food was at the end of the night donated to feeding meals and wheels. So, it's a lot of great things and um, happened in that kitchen. Very very organized uh, as well. So like very strict prep list. Um, you know you took food very, very seriously, right, uh, in that kitchen. So I, I think we're, being organized was uh, key to success, uh, for sure. From Jose, I spent a lot more time working with Jose than with Erica. And, oh, my God, um, what did I not learn from Jose? It mm-hmm. should be more of that. Sure. So um, one of the key things that I still kind of remember was always, like, innovation over profitability uh, was one of the of his motives really and how to you know change the world with the power of food so it's not really just putting food on the plate i hear a lot of chefs saying you know we're not surgeons we're not saving lives but what's the impact of what you're doing with that it's like so i think i've taken a lot of inspiration from that in a different angle and just like know that with that food and that plate that we're serving we can also make a big difference in the world um and from from my side i've taken it and making sure that i'm uplifting women and women in hospitality along the way how do we put women in leadership how do we uh, make sure that the working conditions that are provided are uh, sustainable and equitable and um and there's gender neutrality so i i learned so much from him and but i think one of it's not, the biggest thing is like, there's nothing that's impossible. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's the closest thing with World Central Kitchen and how he's been able to achieve such success when like humongous government agencies can't figure out how to get food to a part of the world in the middle of a crisis. He can, it's because, you know, steps back and it's just like, there's no, nothing that's impossible. So when you approach life that way, not being not taking it well that I can't do that and, you know taking the limitations away uh, and be make cans of can't um I think that's really what has helped me um with my career and my business it's just like there's I don't take no for an answer I find a way I make it happen so and um, that's he'll say the way
0: yeah it's awesome. I mean that must be incredibly motivating for an entrepreneur especially because as an entrepreneur like yourself you you there are so many challenges you have to overcome and so many people who will try to tell you no and you you have to to persevere so I imagine that's that's really encouraging so so talking about that though you you started your first business at thirteen so again i I can tell you're an entrepreneur at heart. what was the spark that finally for you encouraged you to open your open Kalata shop to, to, you know, to after this incredible experience say, okay, it's time again to have my own business.
1: I think I said on this journey from the beginning that I knew I wanted my own business. Like I, um, and also was like, I'm going to learn from the best, right? Like that was also my other goal. Like I, I, I knew that for me to take on that journey, uh, in the U.S., it was, you know, a more serious commitment monetarily, I guess, and just like overall, it's, it's, you know, quite frankly, in DR, you can be like, okay, hey, I'm starting my own business, and, you know, it's, it, it, especially at that time, it was a, a little bit more flex, right? There's not as many uh, laws and regulations uh, telling you what you what you can't can't do. Um, I wanted to learn from the best, um, and you know, it was quite challenging uh, getting a job at the Bernardin actually, you know, at the time was like thousands of applications that they would receive from people all over the world. that want to cook at your restaurant, right? Like they were constantly number one restaurant in the times. And then even, you know, then a different role, but managing Jose's restaurants. So I, I wanted to make sure that I learned uh, from the best and then at different roles in different areas. And I pretty much worked every role and every position and learned as much as I could from the different operations and I I had other jobs in between those are those two are my highlights but uh, I never saw jobs as jobs I saw them as part of my school basically Hmm. it's just like I'm here my ultimate goal is to own my own business and I'm going to make sure that I'm actually doing my boss's job so that's what I would do you know, I would be like, oh, let, teach, like, what are you doing? They're like, I'll, I'll take care of that for you. They were thrilled, right? It's like, oh, right. you're taking that off my plate. Um, and quite frankly, I ended up hiring someone that was once upon time my boss, right? It's just afterwards, after, you know, starting uh, the business. But it's just like, it's learning what they were doing, taking that it's self-initiative of being like, I want to learn what you're doing. Yes, you're not paying me for it. But I guess we pay for school, right? You know, so it's kind of like, um, for me, I saw it as uh, learning opportunities and that allowed me to go get ahead. Not just like, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, this is what your role is. It's just like, I was always asking questions. I'm, I get bored very easily. You know, I'm, I'm always moving around and I wanna be engaged. So like monotonous things like drive me crazy. So again, always learning, asking questions. Uh, and when I felt that I really had uh, a good understanding of all the pieces, because for me I always like, how am I gonna manage something I I don't understand? But yeah, so I had the back of the house like kitchen experience, and then I transitioned to the front, and but it's like you know the bar experience, and you know, but it just like it, I really wanted to see the whole how the whole ecosystem moved together. Uh, and when I felt like I had those pieces and had experience in managing all of them, then I was like, okay. It's time um, initially, um, I started consulting, uh, in the, in the U S like bringing brands from, uh, outside of the United States into the United States from a beverage standpoint. And I was traveling. Um, and while I was traveling, I had to work, uh, at cafes cause they were convenient. Right. And then I saw really a hole, you know, I, uh, I wanted a place that, could transition through the day that did not force me to leave. Cause I felt like I was going to these coffee shops and cafes and I, yeah, I would have a cup of coffee, maybe two. then Maybe I'm or something. And I'm like, okay, that's it. Like there's nothing else for me to like really do here. I can't, I want to keep spending money. I really don't have the product to continue spending money. I also felt like a lot of them, lacked identity right like i it was in different parts of the u.s and i'm like i don't even know where i am right like the um the products the the place itself was very much beige right like it was just like i can be anywhere um it's you know and i i really wanted to bring um part of home back here and that started with um, the coffee side of things, uh, primarily because um, coffee culture in Latin America is very much of like the time that you actually slow down. And to me it was interesting uh, because the coffee was viewed very differently here. It was actually like speed up my coffee with my name I'm taking it and running right uh, with it, which is fine. But I wanted to provide, if you wanted to, a place to actually slow down for a second. Uh, a very vibrant place, lots of colors, lots of flavors, lots of music. Um, and that was like, oh, I feel like I'm on vacation. Like let me let me provide you that space. Uh, and with that, um a space that could can, you can make your home. Basically, you're there in the morning, you have your cup of coffee. You're there and you know at midday you're having a cubano. You're at 5 p.m. and you're having a pina colada. It's like, it really, you can make it whatever you want to make it, um, at different times of the day. And, um, uh, people can come in and go as they please and enjoy the space and, you know, with different people for different reasons. So yeah, that's, it's, it's a, it's a welcome, uh, welcoming, uh, piece to my home basically. And I, I really just love sharing part of that culture and. Uh, with the the vibrancy of it. I I struggled here when we, I saw a lot of Latin businesses just all being cornered literally into holes in the wall. And that bothered me, right? It's just like, we're so much more than that. There's so much beautiful spaces and food in Latin America. And I wanna make sure that we're giving the same respect Uh, as European cuisine or, you know, like other types of cuisine are. So creating a beautiful space with beautiful music that people want to go in and enjoy uh, and then have beautiful food to go along with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, tell me about like the the process of this going from, you know, this incredible experience you have to the day you open Colada Shop. How long was that process? And tell me a little bit about developing the brand because I, I ev- you know, everything you just explained. I mean, this is this uh, all day cafe as you a- explained with this Cuban Latin flavor. Um, and it's, it's very unique, like I said at the outset, even the service model is kind of distinct. I mean, I think fast casual, safe to say, but all of these things, I imagine these were these things were, didn't just pop in your head one day and you're like, this is what I got to do. This must have been marinating. So explain sort of the process of going from ideation to opening.
1: You know, I think the ideation process, I was very lucky that I was traveling a lot uh, at the time and seeing um throughout the country what other people were were doing and not doing. And I guess I was uh, actually experiencing it as a consumer first and like and really approaching it as like, what do I want? Like what do I want that I'm not getting? right? And then also, you know, from a business standpoint, understanding like how to frame it in a in a way that something that's you know like I hate the term exotic, but you know for most people like you know that are not familiar uh, with the cuisine, the food. How can we make it a viable business? Right. To me, that was important. Right. I I remember like early on in my career, like hearing like how Chipotle started, for example, and like. Taking some things from that, it's like, you know, creating a food that was Mexican, but that was, you know, most Americans would receive well, right? That to me was like, that perception is like, I always say like authentic, but not traditional. Like we need to keep the authenticity of the flavors and we're pretending, but also understanding that, well, who am I serving? You know, I, I, I did not, um, didn't create the brand for just cubans or latin people we want everyone to experience it. and actually with making making it comfortable for people to experience it is also changing that dynamic that again was bothering me so uh, i think approaching it from a consumer standpoint uh first of just like hey like how, how am i creating a space i know all day cafes are uh, i would say kind of like a little bit of the rage right now but you know mm-hmm. when we started there wasn't that many right or you know many at all. Right? so it's um the ability from the get-go for us to incorporate um the alcohol piece the food piece and the coffee piece in one uh, was important to me because i was also looking at it from a business standpoint i'm like you know rent's getting pretty expensive right how how being closed part of the day didn't make sense to me i'm like how can we just use what we have and use it for as long as possible to generate more revenue Share with more people, but also service simultaneously that need that I had when I was like traveling trying to work um, I guess out of spaces because since I was consulting and traveling, I didn't really have uh, an office all the time um, obviously, you know fast forward now a lot of people work remote and work out of cafes and work out of places, but that wasn't necessarily the norm at, at the time so but it was it was mine so yeah, so I, I think that that was um, part of part of the process. I wanted to make sure that I was, again, representing uh, my culture, bring the things that I liked uh, forward, the flavors, the colors, the food. Um, yeah, and just highlighting them uh, in different ways. Well, again, we always making sure that we kept that authenticity uh, piece in, in mind. So, like, everything that's on our menu has a story, either from an ingredient or Historically, uh, why it's there, uh, and not only in on our menu actually, like our floors, like you know, they might be a modern print, but it's like cement tile that goes, you know, back to the 20s in Cuba. Like everything in the space, how we like to see it and imagine, it's like how would Cuba be today if it actually had not had the revolution and not get stuck, in? Uh, and pay respect to that, uh, and mm-hmm. then take. Um, you know, the lessons learned from great culinary minds, and put that uh, together in a in, in package.
0: I, the the communication of all of this to your customer, because that's so fascinating to me, and I love that authenticity and the story as you're explaining of everything happening at kalata Shop. I'm wondering about how you communicate that to the customer, if at all. And 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 I and I guess really kind of tying that back to the sort of concept of this that all day cafe because you know there are in a lot of parts of the country and a lot of consumers more interest in make this as simple as possible for me I need one product from you and I'm going to do it at one part of the day that's on one side over here but of course what you're doing is a lot different than that so I guess to, to put this more succinctly in a question which is you know, what do you want Colada Shop to represent to the consumer? How do you cons- communicate that to the consumer? How do you hope they, you know, take this concept in? And what do they, what do you hope they kind of understand, I guess, about the concept?
1: I know this might sound simplistic, but I really want it to feel like an extension of their home,
0: you yeah. know? And,
1: um, and uh, that might, you know, be a hard thing to grasp in a way but you know there's very few places that you can walk in basically at any point of the day for it's like okay let me kind of i'm feeling a coffee i'm feeling a cocktail i'm feeling you know a juice like uh i want food so it's just it's really um i want for them to know that we're there for them for whatever they need at that time right again within our parameters of course and those parameters are the Latin food and primarily Cuban that we're serving, um, and 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 coffee and cocktails. So it's it's really how do I communicate that? Um, you know, I, I think that has been probably the most uh, complicated thing, and it's taken many years um, to kind of narrow down. Because like like you said, like most people are like, okay, I'm marketing a salad, or I'm marketing a sandwich, or I'm marketing it's like. Uh, How do you market all of it at once, right? How do we make, uh, you know, uh, highlight the coffee while highlighting the cocktails when they're kind of like opposite to each other? But what we've learned is that really we have the same customer that visits us through the day while we also have very different customers at the same time. We'll have people that just visit us for coffee while others just visit us for for cocktails. Um, And then they'll learn well enjoying you know those things that well let me try the other thing out oh i didn't know you had I, you know i still get that. like oh i didn't know you had cocktails or i didn't know you had coffee or you know like oh i didn't know your food was so extensive so um it's it's kind of like you come in and it's a learning experience as you come it's not the most simplistic uh straightforward concept by by any means uh but at the same time it's really one that's very versatile and that will um, really, again, service many needs. So I I love that we can activate corners and really be um, there for that community at all, all times of the day, right? It's it's just yeah. it's a fun fun vibe, fun environment. It's not like you know our storefronts are shut down. Like it's again very vibrant at all at all times. And our mood, the mood does change through the day. Um, which I think is key. You know, I get asked really? upon, like, you know, how do you do the alcohol piece? Like, because most of the all-day cafes haven't really been able to kind of crack that part. And I'm like, you know, for us, it has always been an integral part of the concept. It was very much, um, by the name itself, yes, like, the colada is a Cuban coffee, but it's also interpreted as pina colada. And that was, you know, like, when we really, thought about the name and debated it, it's just like, well, I love the fact that it's both because we are both, right? We we are representing both. We are giving people the delicious drinks. It doesn't matter the time of the day, you know, along with that delicious food to follow. So it's, it's, it's a, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have a straight answer for you, but it, it's really about connecting with that community and le- letting them come in, uh, see what we have. And then, it becomes a learning like journey uh, for them themselves. And you know, here in the DMB, it's like it's you know seven years later. It's just like the fact that people are so familiar now with what a cafe con leche is, and they'll they'll know like our lingo. Like I'll take it Miami sweet or half sweet, and they're like they'll, they they know they they start learning. Like I remember when we opened, um, people like well, like can I have a what's that empanada like they had never even heard what an empanada was right and now it's like so it's you know so uh, they're so familiar with it and they're craving it and it's like right. become one of like our signature things so I love how we've uh changed almost like the food culture within DC with that and just because we made it approachable and then they've learned and uh gotten to know how our food is different so
0: yeah I love what you said about it being an extension of their home because uh, the, the Colada shop I visited, I believe it was your second location. The one um, I think it was on 14th, uh, perhaps you're going to know better than I, of course. Um, but th- there was a timelessness to the space. Um, I could have guessed that that was, had been around for 50 years as much as it had been around for just a couple of years, um, which I think speaks speaks highly of that making it feel homely and making it feel um, timeless, because that that's an kind of atmosphere that makes you want to sit and stay a while and enjoy yourself. Um, but to that end, you know, I'm curious. At what point did you know that this would be multi-unit, and how did you how do you open more locations while maintaining everything that you were just explaining? So, I'll,
1: I'll say this piece. When we opened the first location, I remember there were other restaurants opening around us, um, and I remember people coming and it's like, oh, what, what, uh, how many units do you have? And I'm like, this is number one, you know, like we're just opening. Oh, really? And I think that has to do, like we've been very, very intentional with branding and how um, we're perceived as outside of our, and not only like inside of the space, but also outside of that space. Um, so I think, with that being said, growth was always the I I wanted to share um, these flavors with as many people as possible and kind of, again, change the narrative a little bit of how Latin food is perceived with it. Uh, So it's an approachable uh, place that, you know, people want to come in, enjoy, have fun, that I can see pretty much anywhere in the U.S. or outside of the U.S. Uh, How do we maintain, to answer the second part of your question, um, how do we maintain what we built? I think that's probably one of the most important things for me, period. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, not growth for the sake of growth. You know, I think I've seen many brands that just like start that growth journey and start kind of letting um uh, things fall through the cracks. And I number one is gonna be equal, if not more important to me as a new shiny one. Right. It's it's mm-hmm. really Maintaining uh, what we build that has taken a lot of sweat uh, to get there, right, it is very, very important that with every store, every location, we're delivering the same message. Uh, and that takes, honestly, constant innovation because running an establishment at number one and, you know, now you know, two weeks away from opening number six. Um, so it, it's a very different thing. You know, we can't manage the same, we can't have the same systems, the relationships that we have, uh, even with our, uh, team members is different. Like, you know, so it's, those systems have to be constantly reevaluated. um, producing technology, making sure that the message keeps constant, um, and making sure that, you know, that we are taking the time to pause and perfect as during the growth process not just focusing on the new locations but it's like okay how did this new location actually affect operations overall right like are we making sure that our teams are getting the same support uh, throughout um that the quality is maintained that we have consistency so i think that is crucial and probably one of the things that i'm spending most of my time on right now. It's just actually how do we make sure that nothing is um, you know, not not only I don't even want to say staying the same. I to mm-hmm. me it's actually how do we getting better. You know, that's uh that's really the key. How do we keep getting better? Like the great thing about growth is that we're able to like grow our teams, right? Like when I started I was a marketing person, the uh, you know, developing recipes, doing this. Like I had so many hats, you know, running the books, like pretty much everything. So if now I have the privilege, because I consider it very much a privilege of having a larger team that have much dedicated roles. That means we should be improving and actually getting better as we grow. Um, where I see, unfortunately, some brands that start just their products are declining and the experience starts declining as they grow. So I, I, I think I'm taking that Jose approach of like that impossible, nothing is impossible. And how do we just turn it around and look at it in a yeah. different perspective?
0: Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. I have seen a ton of examples, to your point, of restaurant brands that want to grow for growth's sake. And then the wheels come off and things are getting worse and then they disappear because it's like, customers notice when that kind of stuff happens. Uh, now, you know, of course with this all day cafe model, um, you know, to have coffee and Cubanos and cocktails, I imagine there is some complexity to that. And I'm curious about, you know, how you can manage that complexity and then as you grow, how you find efficiencies to make sure you're not getting overly complex.
1: Yeah. So, Honestly, it's taken a lot of time. I remember when we first trained for our first store, it was like a nightmare. It, it really was, <laughs> right? We were scheduled to open, like train for a week. And I'm like, no, we need another week. Like they're not ready because there was so much information, right? It was, um, uh, they were doing all the things and we were teaching everyone all the things. So mm-hmm. at once, you know, it's taken time and experience and a lot of trial and error to kind of narrow down how to, um, very much in the midst of a lot, simplify into segments where it feels like an escalation of of learning, like even from the store openings themselves. Um, you know, the final model or when things are rolling and outside of that uh, opening period, all of our team members in the front know how to do everything. They're all baristas, they're all cashiers, they're all uh food runners they're all bartenders but that's not how we approach it from the get-go right like when you know it's like when we are opening a store it's like we segment and you're like okay this is your area of focus and you kind of have to master that area before you're moving on to the next um and then it becomes you know like people get a lot more comfortable there's a lot of cross training um uh, that happens um how you know getting it uh, not getting overly complex i think having an all-day menu that doesn't change has been uh also a way to keep it actually more simplified um at one point we kind of shifted our menus like oh well this is you can get breakfast until this time and then you know this part of the menu that is the rest of the menus are all day actually like making things so we have consistent training um and everyone knows what's happening and actually like the movement of the product is consistent. Having it available all day actually resulted for us in something easier to execute rather than changing, um, changing the menus midday. Um, is it still complex? A hundred percent. You know, there's a lot of pieces to the operation, uh, but it's also creating the systems to follow. So, you know, I have a great team that has, um, helped me with time also, like, you know, get a lot more organized and in the training piece. I think that's, it's so crucial, uh, that training component. So everyone is aware of the things. And when we have rollouts, uh, you know, the amount of time, the adequate time that it takes to actually get the information out to the teams and what information they need and how we're rolling things out. And the menu itself is just a lot of cross utilization. As well.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. I was wondering too, that from that perspective of, I mean, obviously labor is such an issue right now, um, recruitment and retention. Now you have a, probably a, a higher quality pool in the DC area, I would imagine than most of the country perhaps, but you're also higher wages, um, a much trickier situation with from your labor standpoint, um, and, and then you do have maybe not overly complex, but probably more complex, of course, than the, the QSRs. So h- how do you manage to recruit these employees and then keep them around and make sure that they want to be a part of the growth of this business?
1: You know, I think a lot, a lot of our hiring is actually word of mouth, uh, which I love. Um, and our retention rate, thankfully, is pretty high. Um, and I attribute that to obviously you know a great and positive like work environment we make sure that we're taking care of our employees uh and that they we listen to them. I think so many things are just resolved by listening uh and um and making sure they obviously have great wages, but also you know it does cost come to a cost to the business, especially in this area it's, uh fairly high um as far as you know, I think one of the things that has helped a lot with our retention has also been the fact that we're invested in their growth. You know, and and you know they they see how people have moved up um, in the company. We have you know people that started as a barista that are store managers or start as a barista actually one of our uh, you know regional op managers right now. So. It's, they, they see how if you're invested in us, we're invested in you. Um, and uh, I think that mentality has helped a lot. I also actually think that the all day model has serviced us well. So one of the things that uh, we don't have necessarily like the most set schedules, which at times is difficult to manage, um, meaning because we're open all day, we have different pizza and different stores within the, you know within our portfolio have different peaks. So we have a uh, pretty flexible scheduling that is not that traditional, like you're coming in at this time and you leave at this time, you know, so we each store and each uh, store manager is able to like really tailor the needs, but that has allowed us to really capture a whole other pool of people. And by that, I mean mothers um, that have to pick up their children from school and have, you know, like, not only, like, you know, second jobs, but have other responsibilities that by being able to have more of a flexible schedule, we can accommodate those um, those needs, which, again, has worked out in our favor. So, you know, I, I think we always try and strive to do um, best by our team uh, as much as we can, and I think it's, it's really paid off, and we have, you know, a number of long-standing employees with us. And also, you know, we, we, we also have a seasonal component to us. So we do have, you know, always new blood coming through as well. So just making sure that we keep and maintain what I like to call the yeast, right? Like that, the, the soul and the people that really understand the culture, I think is very important.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, talking about the the working moms, you know, you, you mentioned earlier in the conversation about gender equity, uh, you yourself are such a strong woman in leadership. And sadly, in the restaurant industry, as you and I both know, that is, that is not often the case that there are um, women in leadership positions that there's a lot of movement on the needle that we need to, to make in this industry. Um, I'm just curious from your perspective, like, how do you play not only a role as a, a great model of a strong woman in leadership, a strong founder, um, but also for your team and bringing gender equity into your team, I, I guess, what are some strategies that have worked for you and how do you hope to be, you know, representation, I guess, for the rest of the industry at showing how this can be done?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things um, that to me is kind of mind blowing that we were in you know one of the powers of the world and there is no like you know i guess federally no um maternal leave right like like you you know you give birth and you're expected to in a lot of places to get back to work um and i you know that's one thing that the moment we could that i was like okay that that's not that's not possible we need to be able to, as an organization make this a priority not only for moms but also actually for dads uh within uh, to have like parental leave overall. Um so I know it, it just sounds very basic, but in the restaurant industry, especially with small business, the ones you get larger is a different story. But in small business it's not really, you know, something that you see every day. Um, but I I would say the main thing that really I think has an impact is on the day to day, right? Like those that's a snippet in time, right? And that's for effects few people that you know that's happening to. But I think more than that is just again understanding the needs of a mother within our scheduling system and um not really uh like putting it in the culture that it's you know your kid's sick it's not and you have to call out not being seen as well now I'm not going to promote you because of that right it's just so which tends to happen you know we we see i would say from a um, male and the male side when men have kids it's actually seen as a promotion time it's actually like you actually you know expect it almost that they get more money while then employers tend to see moms like oh now they're not going to be available you know and it's just it's so it's it's like literally totally opposite while they're really carrying the load so it's really i think has to do with the culture that you put out and that expectation and why you normalize and not not normalize and figure out like, well, this person, like this happened, but they're making it up and all these other areas. Right. And this is like also their contribution. So I think again, that flexible scheduling and flexible flexibility in understanding uh, that things come up, just think a lot of things come up when you have kids. And normalizing that piece is is very important, and not punishing it more than anything. I I think there's um, there's a bias there that happens uh, for sure uh, when when it comes to um, think, you know a lot of people say single moms and that equates. Are so you are gonna call out a mom, right? And it's just like yeah, but I, I promise you, they'll multitask like no one else. You know, like there's like the the the, the other aspect uh, of that piece. So it's just that mentality of how you approach things. The other thing for me is really like to me, having women in leadership is crucial. Uh, to have more women in leadership. Um, so it we we really um are intentional. On, on that piece of making sure that we are also putting in leadership and giving the opportunities, uh, from a growth standpoint to the women, uh, it, within our organization. So I would say at, at this point, you know, five over six GMs are women. Uh, and you know, and we love all the men too. That, that's, sure. you know, to me, it's whoever's best for the job ultimately, but it's also, you have to be intentional on, on the change you want to see. Um, and like you said, it's like, it's very limb picking, right. When it comes uh, to women in leadership, women in kitchens, uh, you know, and it's, it, you, we, and that also has to do with a mentality that women never think that they're fully ready, uh, which is not the case. I always, you know, love to communicate the message that typically when women are like 80%, percent there, they're actually, they think they're 80% there, they're more like 120, well, men approach it like I got fifty, and I'll figure the rest out. And you know that that's something that we we need to learn. And I guess we'll 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 approach it that way as well. So yeah, um, yeah, it's it's a culture that you set. You know, it's like the things that you preach, the things that are important, um, and the change you want to see. So it's like I I say it. I you know. I say to the women and to the men, I want to see more women in leadership, right? It's important to me, it's important to me that there's more women in the kitchen. I'm like how are women you know literally the matrix and the in, in our homes, like really mostly doing the cooking. You think when you think of food and growing up, it's like grandma's usually. very few people are saying my grand my granddad cooked like, it was like it's your grandma, right? but how mm-hmm. is that not transitioning into the restaurant? Like, you know, how have we not been able to sustainably build an environment that actually allows for that to happen? And a lot of that has to do with having kids, that Mm -hmm. piece, you know, it's like that creates an interruption. And I saw a huge disparity with that, especially during COVID. You know, we had over 2 million women exit the workforce Mm -hmm. simply because they did not have childcare, right? Like it's something very basic, like how can we provide and shift policy and um, but ultimately also within our businesses, create an environment that we allow um, uh, and foster uh, women to be able to be successful. You know, And then there's other, you know, like it might not look the same way, but there's there's ways around that.
0: Yeah, it's such a multifaceted issue. But one point that you're making that I really appreciate is, you know, we make a a big deal about a very um, bad problem of women in leadership positions in the restaurant industry. I think the number is somewhere between 10 and 15% of restaurant companies have a female leader. Um, And clearly that's an issue. But the point that you're making that I appreciate is, you know, one of the one of the reasons for that is that there were so many steps, so many rungs along the career ladder, at which point they got essentially pushed off the ladder because there were so many reasons that they, they couldn't continue on with their career, often to do with childcare. I, I experienced it myself, my, my wife, we're, we're about to have our third kid and she has to face the, do you continue the career or do you do the stay at home mom? And there are pretty drastic, um, Im, you know, implications and, and consequences for each decision, And there's a lot of what I appreciate what you said too about intentionality. There's a lot of intentionality here that the restaurant industry has to have in order to fix the problem.
1: Yeah, it does. And, you know, it's the industry. And quite frankly, I also feel like a lot of government support simultaneously, you know, it's just you know, to have food at the table and enjoy, but you know, the reality is that, you know, we in the restaurant industry don't work normal hours. And if you don't have, normal child care to support that, you know what I mean? Like then it, mm-hmm. the, the options become very limited. So, you know, it's like we have to, again, be intentional about, you know, what we need uh, the system to look like and push for the changes that we need to see.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I want to make sure we talk about growth because um, you, you said you're about to open your sixth location. Congratulations. That's awesome. Um, you know, DC, I know, is such a... Great market for kalata Shop because it's such a global city. It's such a diverse city. It's, it's embracing of new ideas, exciting concepts all over that city. Um, I imagine you are interested in growth beyond DC. Tell me about your plan for growth. What does that look like? And, and do you see this as being something that can work in a lot of different markets?
1: Yeah, so my my plan for growth is like, again, I really want to share um, what we, you know, internally call that a lot of love for the whole country. I, I really do. I, I really see um, the brand and uh, really being embraced uh, throughout the country. We have great food, great drinks, great coffee. And again, we're an extension of a very welcoming place, your home. So, um, you know, where's next? We haven't quite decided yet. But that's definitely our next step. You know, we 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 have one more location that we're opening in the DMV right now, this summer. So we have one upcoming in about two weeks and then we have another location opening this summer. Uh, and then after that, we are really seeking to go outside of uh, the DMV area. Um, we are, Currently searching for that market that you know to call our next home. So we're very very excited about what the future has ahead for. us.
0: Do you feel like the the kind of urban model is especially good for the all day cafe? I mean, I, you must have so many people who are just walking by who drop in. But when I think about you know especially especially coffee competition right now, the direction of coffee industry is how do I make the smallest footprint. With the most amount of drive-through windows and put by the most amount of cars, like that's kind of the the model for coffee today. I mean, what what is the ideal kind of real estate? I guess I should say for kalata Shop and where you want to put this thing.
1: I think we definitely thrive uh, in an urban setting, but um, I also do believe that you know the so, so, you know younger suburban neighborhoods are are good for us, right? Like what we look for it's it's challenging real estate in the sense that, you know, not necessarily what you were alluding to like that real estate for coffee is the same real estate typically for cocktails. right? So it's really finding um, the right combination of demo, the right demographic, quite frankly, with obviously foot traffic, but that has, um, you know, a, a vibrancy that can be sustained all day. Um, and again, it can be different people through that day. It doesn't have to be the same customer that's, you know, sitting down for the whole day, but at, at visiting. So, but I, I do believe that what we learned in the last seven years is that, you know, like we have a relatively younger demographic that, uh, enjoys, um, uh, the cocktails and the coffee and goes out often, um, you know, versus more sit down special occasion uh, restaurants. That is like you know how that, how that's perceived. So I think what we're really seeking is uh, urban centers or even urban suburban, if that makes sense. Centers where uh, people are enjoying going out and a lot and that's changing significantly. You know, you have a lot of young families moving out of uh, the cities. You know, uh, COVID shifted that a lot as well. People wanting more space. Um, so I, I really think to me, it's about the people and, um, uh, making sure that uh, we're following and staying true to our core demographic and, um, finding the right kind of, the right space that has a little bit of all the components. Um, you know, we also love like what we learn, like love being in, in places that, have the right co-tenancy I think that's also great you know and in my opinion you know having that right retail and the right co-brands that we can collaborate and um uplift each other is also that is something that I'm very particular about it's kind of like it's an overall vibe right it's just like I I love uh areas that it's like let's go to this area and there's a little bit for everyone because that helps sustain like you might have not gone there for coffee you might have gone there uh, to buy a bracelet, right? But then it's like, oh, I want a coffee, or yeah. oh, let's stay for lunch, you know. So I, I think understanding what's around us and not looking ourselves at ourselves as just an island is very. Cool. It
0: makes sense, uh, Danielle. Last question for you. Um, you know, you have founded this incredible brand. You learn from some um, iconic people of of the restaurant industry, some iconic members of this industry. Um, you strike me as somebody who is always a student um and and you know now you find yourself in the position of being a teacher. Um, I'm curious, you know as you speak to other founders, entrepreneurs out there who might be listening to this, what's your advice to them? What do you suggest they do that you have learned in your own career?
1: You know I I think one of the most valuable lessons that I've learned—I actually learned from Chef Thomas Keller—and was like, it's not about passion, but perseverance. Um, and you know, it's doing the same thing day in and day out is, is challenging, right? And there's uh, a lot of things that, as a founder and as an entrepreneur, get thrown on a, at us as a, on a daily basis, right? Actually, I, I feel like I get nervous around calmness and stillness because it's you know we're always uh solving things and um so i really think just having your goal in mind and understanding that the road to success is not you know it's not just linear it's really a lot of ups and a lot of downs but learning from the mistakes along the way and not being hard-headed you know that's one thing like you know colada shop has evolved tremendously. get to where we are today you know when we started our menu was significantly smaller we um we had limited options and had to evolve to understand like hey like you know like how do we capture you know we can only if we only offer this we can only capture even though the people x amount of days they might love the food but they're not going to come in and you know, eat something fried every day. So how are, you know, how do we create variety within that? So I think, you know, going back to uh, being a student, I think and listening, I think always listening and paying attention is crucial um, and not staying stagnant, right? I think we live in a world that is constantly evolving and you need to evolve with that and listen to your guests and while staying true to who you are. But listen, right, and, like, listen to the needs uh, of what's happening and and evolve with that. It's like I feel like I talk to a lot of established entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs that are just beginning. And I'm like, you know, tell me about your your concept that you're, you know, for the ones that are beginning that you want to put together. And like, you know, they have everything written down. This is how it's going to work. Guess what? When you open, um, the line's not going to form how you envisioned it, that it was going to form. And this is not going to flow exactly. And the to me, the difference of those that make it and don't is paying attention to that and how you actually react to those things and change to those things um, that make make you successful. Because I also see a lot of like, well, that's not what I want. You know, guess what? You're not your customer. You know, like, yes, you might have an idea, but if you don't listen to your guests and your customers, you're not ultimately going to have a business. You're not, you know, if you could sustain your own business, that's a, a different thing, but that's not, you know, who you're building it from. So it's just taking that ego out of the equation and just like taking what you, the essence of what you've created, but making sure that you're evolving constantly, is, I Sorry would say, that is.
0: Yeah, that's super great advice. Daniela Senor, the co-founder of Colada Shop. Daniela, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Sam.
0: That was my interview with Colada Shop founder, Daniela Senor. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my eight takeaways. My first takeaway is you should not miss an opportunity to learn from the best. Now, Eric Ripert and Jose Andres are two of the greatest chefs, really, of all time, certainly their generation. Uh, Daniela had the incredible opportunity to work under both of them. That's not always going to be available to everybody. You might not be able to work with folks like that. But I think what's important is Daniela explained she's been working since she was 13. She opened her first business when she was 13 and has been hustling ever since. And she's clearly been a student all along, seeking out the best to work for. And all along, she has picked up incredible... Incredible lessons. Whenever you have an opportunity to be a student, to learn under some of the best in the business, you should take that opportunity because as you pull those lessons, you will take them with you into whatever comes next. And that may include opening your own business. Uh, Imagine the valuable lessons you might pick up from people who know more than you, who are maybe better than you. You can apply that to your own business and someday you can become the teacher. My second takeaway is that jobs aren't just jobs, they're an education. So again, similar to my last takeaway about learning from the best, your resume, you might have a lot of stops on the path to wherever you are now or wherever you hope to get. Don't just see those as something I have to do, something, a box to check off, you know, something that's a part of everybody else's resume, so it might as well be a part of mine. Don't see these as just rungs in the ladder. See every job you're in as an education. Daniela, in her work uh, before opening Kalata Shop, she explained the fact that, again, she was a student. And as a good student, she took the opportunity to work in every job. Job She possibly could in the restaurant to learn every function. If you do that, if you learn all of the functions, if you get the most out of every job you have, again, you are going to be well prepared for whatever comes next. And especially if you're an entrepreneur, if you are hoping to launch your own business, or maybe you have already. You need a robust education in how to run a business, and especially in the restaurant industry, that is way more than just coming up with a fun name in the menu. You have to know so much more than that. Daniela is a great example of somebody who studied and learned and put in the time and attention to learning how to run a restaurant, and now clearly um, that is paying dividends as Colada Shop takes off. My third takeaway is that your brand isn't really for you, it's for your customers. It's a great reminder as you're designing a restaurant, even if you have restaurants open, even if you've been around a long time, you should constantly think through the eyes of your customers. Don't just think about what you want. Don't just think about what you like. Think about what your customers want, what your customers like, how things change, how trends are changing, the evolution of the restaurant industry and the consumer All of these things are important, and these are all things Daniela has considered as Collada Shop has grown over the years. You know, Daniela said she wanted something authentic. She didn't want traditional. And I think that's an interesting point here because, you know, what she wanted to do was she wanted to provide this – latin flavored concept these this cuban concept that is uh, accessible in a way that chipotle was accessible with mexican flavors and in order to do that she had to put on the customer hat she had to think about what the customer might want and expect out of an all-day cuban cafe now of course the authenticity you still have to stick to those authentic flavors as she pointed out but through the filters of what customers might like, m- what they might want, that it extended to the aesthetic of the brand. She wanted this to be a restaurant concept that people would really embrace at scale. And if you stick to the traditional, if you stick to just what she wanted out of it and what she might expect from a concept like Collada Shop, it might limit the potential impact and the ability to reach all the customers that she wanted to reach. Uh, my fourth takeaway is that a versatile concept can make the most of the space it occupies. You know, some might argue that a simple concept, a very focused concept is, is a, the smartest concept. That if you have a very small menu, maybe you only serve one or two day parts, that by doing that, you can really, uh, you know, run a tight ship, that you would have a lot more efficiencies. Certainly, your costs would be lower. But I like the approach that Collada Shop has and Daniela's um, explanation of why it works so well. By being this all-day cafe that has breakfast, that has coffee, that has lunch, Cubanos, cocktails at nighttime, by doing that, she's serving many different occasions for many different consumers. And so as as I said in the intro, somebody might come in for a quick coffee on the go or maybe somebody comes in for a, a working lunch or maybe somebody's coming in after work for happy hour. And that might be the same person, but it could, more importantly, be three different people. The more versatility you have, the more potential consumers obviously you're going to bring in. And to the point of this takeaway is that you know if you have the real estate, certainly in Washington DC, your your real estate costs are going to be pretty high. Get the most out of it by serving more day parts than the traditional restaurant. By having this versatility of menu offerings, they're getting the most out of that real estate and um, and making sure that um, it is high impact and efficient. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It's not for everybody, certainly. And as we'll get into, there are some complexities in that when it comes to your labor. But Daniela is really convinced that this model is smart. And like I said, it really does help them as they uh, look for new real estate, really helps them know that they're going to get the most out of that real estate that they possibly can. My fifth takeaway is that you should aim for improvement with every store opening. This is a really important point. Uh, You know, look, in my position in 15 years of watching this industry, I've seen a lot of chains grow fast. They want to grow fast because they want to own a category or they want to own a market or they want as much attention as they possibly can. But the byproduct of growing fast often tends to be that quality starts to slip. The consistency starts to slip. And I thought Daniela made this very interesting point. You know, Colada shop is about to open their sixth location. And she made this point that all along the way they've learned and they've grown and they have tried to improve with every store opening. You should try to do the same, no matter the pace of growth you're going at with, as your system grows, don't just put that thing on autopilot and expect the consistency to continue. Try to learn and evolve and grow with every store opening, because the more you do that, first off, the more you're going to be able to serve that new community you're entering with a new, the new location, but the more the entire system really stands to benefit because you are getting it better and better as you go. My sixth takeaway is that the more day parts you serve, the more potential employees you have access to. Uh, This is, again, an all-day cafe at Colada Shop. And Daniela is especially committed to to employees such as women, such as working mothers. And she pointed out that, you know, because they have so much flexibility in the hours you can work, because they're open, you know, so, so long and serve so many different day parts, it becomes an opportunity, for example, for working mothers or anybody who needs to pick up a second job, there are those hours available because there are so many hours available. Um, That is, uh, you know, as labor continues to be a real problem in the restaurant industry, as restaurants continue to fight for solid, high-quality employees, you might not want to tack on two or three more hours onto your your operating hours every day, but you should consider the flexibility of the hours you're offering. Um, Daniela admits that this can be complex because with so many hours with so much flexibility, they're always trying to kind of, you know, put this puzzle together, but she says it does have that added benefit of appealing to a broader pool of workers because of that ability to be flexible. I don't know what that looks like for your business. Again, you might you might not want to open uh, longer or have more hours, but I think there might be a lesson here in our flexibility and how you're able to stay flexible with the hours you provide to access those workers. And as I'll t- talk about here in a second, especially when it comes to mothers and women in the workforce, um, that flexibility with the hours is crucial to being uh, being an opportunity for them to having a job that they can stick with. My seventh takeaway is that you must be intentional in making the change you want to see. Uh, Now, Daniela is such a strong woman in a leadership position. She's a founder. Um, Sadly, as we all know, this is rare for the restaurant industry that um, founders, owners, and especially executives in the restaurant industry, the numbers are pretty abysmal of women in leadership positions. There's This is a multifaceted issue, and we talked about it in the conversation. But, of course, one of the cruxes of this issue is the fact that women are often forced with these difficult decisions. If they're raising a family, having kids, uh, if they're running their household, whatever it might be, they're often pushed off the ladder on their way uh, in their career advancement because they just can't make it work. Too many businesses in this country are uh, not accommodating to women in the workforce and not able to help them with flexibility and help them with if their kid is sick, they're okay that you can get the shift off. Or if you have to take off from work, go pick up your kids at school or even just having parental leave when you have a baby. The restaurant industry, the country at large, but the restaurant industry especially has a lot of work left to do in this regards. And if we want to be the change we want to see in having more women in leadership positions in the restaurant industry, then we have to be intentional about saying we're going to offer flexibility for working moms. We're going to allow them parental leave. We're going to allow them to take time off to pick up their kids from school and take a day off if their kid is sick. This is a collective effort. And again, there's intentionality that has to happen here. I probably don't have to tell you the numbers, but I will tell you that the number of women executives in the restaurant industry at the top of the, um, uh, you know, the chief executive role or senior leadership positions, somewhere between like 10 and 15%. Again, it's abysmal. We need to do more work in this regard. And you have to be intentional about making change in order to move the needle. Daniela, I love the work she's doing. She said five of her six GMs are women. She's putting being more intentional about putting women in leadership positions. She's offering that flexibility I was talking about and making sure that on that ladder, on that uh, the journey of career advancement, that women are offered as many opportunities as men are so that they can be offered that um, those positions of leadership, much like men are. My eighth and final takeaway is that succeeding in restaurants is a matter of perseverance, not passion. This was such a great line. She said she learned this from Thomas Keller, who, of course, is another icon in this industry. Um, And I love what she said. She said, on your journey as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a restaurateur, you are faced with challenges almost every day. You can be incredibly passionate about your brand and your business, but that's not going to help you overcome those challenges perseverance will you must have perseverance in this industry to tackle every challenge head on and to be able to succeed in the face of those challenges um, passion is great but remember you must persevere those are all my takeaways for today i hope you enjoyed this episode please remember to subscribe to takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and leave your feedback you can also email me at sam.ocus at informa.com thanks again and talk to you next week